Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Last week we started a series called Better. Everybody I know wants something better. We want a better job, we want a better marriage, we want a better body, we want a better something. Everybody I know wants something better. So last week we tackled the concept of how do I have a better you? Well, today we're going to go from a better you to a better y'all. Everybody's got a y'all. We, we have a spouse. We have kids. We have people we work with. We have people that our kids play ball with. We have church folks. We all have a y'all. But how is it we can have a better you and have a better y'all? And I, I would say that one of the first things we have to do is recognize how incredibly diverse we are in this room. Now, just look around at some of the people in here. Just look around. I mean, we, we got folks from all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds, all educational backgrounds. We, we got folks in here in white and black. We got folks that are Hispanic. We got some Asian folks in here. We got a little everything going on in here, right? We got folks who are mature in Christ. We got, we got folks who just have come to know Christ. We got folks that have never met Christ. We, we got a little of everything. And we got folks that when you think about it, I mean, they're health nuts. Don't you know those people that are health nuts? Those are the people who are always giving me vitamins and something that would say you really need it, Chuck. It looks like you're dying up there. I don't put them in the category of health nut. I just put them in the category of nut. And so we're in love, but we've got a little of everything. We do. We've got a little bit of everything. Have you ever noticed that elevators are kind of a microcosm of our relationships? Like when, when, when the elevator door opens and it's already full, but you have to get to where you're going and you kind of go elbows out every man for himself. And when you walk in, you kind of screw into the room and everybody's like, mm, I ain't good. And then when you're in there, you never say a word and you do everything you can not to touch that person. And all eyes are on those little red numbers, seven, six. And we like it when they ding. The, the ones I love that tell you the, the floor, seventh floor. And they always sound so cool. Have you ever noticed that? Like if you go to Gwinnett Medical Center, it talks to you, it'll say seventh floor. Like <laughs> magic happens on the seventh floor, right? First floor, ground floor. I mean, it, it makes the basement sound cool, right? But you get on the elevator and you, nobody talks. I mean, and we all try to face the same direction out. And so the people on the, in the end, where they got on first, they're in the back, they're in a mess, right? So a few years ago, I was the chief operating officer for a large mission organization. And we had about four or 500 people that worked in the building at the time. And I invited a friend of mine by the name of Jay to come up from Orlando and preach our chapel. And so he'd come up and he just got done preaching his chapel. We had four, 400 or so folks in there. We had three small elevators to get up, uh, just a four-story building. And Jay and I were walking around, the elevator opened and we, we saw it was open, but it was totally packed. Now, I want you to think I was a little heavier then than I am now. And Jay was a little heavier than I was then. And those people saw us about to get into that elevator. And when they gave us that smirk like, oh, no, uh-uh, it was game on. So we kind of made our way in and didn't care what we touched. Well, we did, but you know what I mean. And we turned around and we kind of found our own space. The doors closed, totally quiet because you don't talk in an elevator. And Jay says, after just preaching, Man, I thought that guy who was preaching today was going to be better than that. 
dude in the back row says, yeah, I expected a lot more from him. So this just fueled Jay, you'll have to understand, he really is a practical joker. He says, yeah, that guy is like, it's like he never even learned how to preach. I mean, why would Chuck bring him here? Same dude in the back, seriously. I mean, he was bad. And Jay's like, what in the world, you know? So we get off the elevator and Jay says, wait. So he's, he's shaking everybody's hand as they're getting off the elevator. Dude that I know is talking, I say, that's him. So Jay reaches his hand and says, hi, what's your name? So the guy tells him, and Jay says, hi, I'm Ric Flair, the wrestler. Woo! Are you with me? And the guy looks at him like, I don't think you are. I said, you realize this is Jay Strack. He just preached here, right? He said, oh. It was like a, like literally epic oopsie, you know? But isn't that a microcosm of our life? That we, we're around people all the time, but we don't really, we're not really bonded to the people we're with. We're just in an elevator with them. But for us to have a better y'all, I think we have to first recognize that we all have different kind of y'alls. But when we get a y'all and we get it in the, in the right trajectory, our y'all makes us a better us. But now think about this. God created this extraordinary process on how we're to be a better y'all. We have been called to do this life together, whether we like it or not. Now, once again, look around at the people around you. Go ahead and just swivel your head around. Look around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aren't some of you thinking, you know, I could do better without that person? Or I, 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 I could get along just fine without them. I'd be okay if it weren't for that person. And yet God has clearly placed them here at this time for this season for something else. I mean, there are people in my life that just drive me bat crazy. Like Dr. G over here. I mean, you just, he just drive you crazy. If you're not careful, he really would. Reuben is one of those guys that likes to follow rules, especially the ones that he makes. Isn't that right, Dr. G? Yeah. It's, it, go with me here. You're a sermon illustration, buddy. Yeah, go with me on that. And then, like Ryan Ricard's over there. He, he's a rule follower. He likes to follow rules. There's my buddy Rusty down here. He, listen, he, he, he almost went into cardiac arrest the other night because we were stringing some lights for my daughter's wedding and they weren't perfectly straight. And I'm like, but Jenny wants them to be whimsical. Like, who knows what that means? Well, in Jenny's eyes, because she's an artist, whimsical, is you just throw them up there with no good reason whatsoever. Well, for a guy like Rusty, that's like, no, no. Rusty starch irons his pajamas. <laughs> but we need each other. He makes me better because we're just so stinking different. Take Norm Quadra back there. He's a judge. I mean, for goodness sake, he's a lawyer. I mean, how did he come to know Jesus, you know? But you know what? I value Norm as different as he is. He came to Jesus and, and is a Florida fan, for goodness sake. I mean, it's like he, he, he did everything he could not to love Jesus. And yet together we're better. Don't you have people like that in your life? They just, they're so different from you and they, they just make you better. You realize that when God built us to do life together, it wasn't so that it could be easier. It was so that we would have a better result. We'd have a bigger outcome. We'd have a greater hit on this world for the cause of Christ. That's why the church 
We have to open our doors to everybody that is different, not just folks that look like us and think like us. I really believe Paul in his writings, he, he traveled and he had great diversity with the crowd and he brought them all together and they came together in the bond of Christ. This is why for six years I've, I've spoken to you about how this group that meets in this room has to look more like that group that meets at Lanier High School and we've got to open our doors to folks that don't look like us, don't think like us, and don't know Christ. Because this should be the place where of all places on the planet, everybody is welcome. Because this is his house, not ours. But it causes us to have to have a good y'all. Well, how do you do that, Chuck? Well, the first thing I think is that you have to concede your need for others. Many of us are pretty sure that we are the Lone Ranger without need of Tonto. There are some of us who think we are Batman and we don't need Robin. Some of us are Abbott and the other is Costello. I mean, when you put it all together, one of us is Barnes and the other one is Noble. Are you with me? Because the Lord has a way of putting us together. Can you imagine Hall without Oates? What about Bert, uh, Ernie without Bert? I mean, what do you have? Just a weird guy. Rocky and Bullwinkle. Here's one, Mario and Luigi. Can you imagine just a Luigi game? It had never gone anywhere. I mean, that guy's wearing a mushroom on his head. I mean, what's up with that? Here's what the scripture says when Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 7, he says, As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. But instead, we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Just like a child needs a mommy, Paul identifies the need in another letter to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12 that says, so the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor again the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, all the more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. What did he say in Genesis 2? It's not good for man to be alone. God tapped into and fixed aloneness before he even had to fix sin. God built us in the situation that we would be in community. We were created in community. The scripture says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There's a study done years ago by Abraham Maslow. He was a guy that had little or no faith system whatsoever. And he did this study called the hierarchy of needs. And what he found in that study was that every single person has a different level of need. Don't you know people in your life who are very needy and they kind of like suck the life out of you, but you love them and you're with them. And then you have other folks that you pick up the conversation six months later, like you never, never stop. Everybody has a different level of need in their life. And so when we find and we grow together, those levels of need change. Where often when we grow and we recognize that God has put us together for a purpose, for a rhyme, for a reason, we become less needy and become more helpful. So Maslow's research reveals that before we can be a person of value, we have to become intended to become a person of value. You know what the a easier way to say that? If you want a great friend, be a great friend. If you want a caring friend, care for your friends. If you want a praying friend, pray for your friends. 
If you want an encouraging friend, encourage your friends. We look at this and say, this isn't hard, and yet it requires all of us. That first stop of conceding our need is where we drop all of the masks and we get rid of all the fake stuff and recognize we need other people. We need other people to be complete. God designed people to be in our life to overcome our weaknesses. Every one of us in God's creation has extraordinary strengths, but every one of you also have some extraordinary weaknesses. Oftentimes, the more glaring your strength, what will happen is that that weakness is even stronger. Show me somebody who's comfortable speaking in front of 10,000 people, and odds are good they're a disaster in a one-on-one conversation. Show me somebody who's a great athlete, and typically, they're going to look different than the person that just won the chess tournament. And yet, we need one another. But to conceive that says, I'm not all that. To become all that God wants me to be, I need other people. Jenny and I could not be more different in in so many ways. Jenny's very artistic. Jenny's idea of long-term planning is, I'd say noon. She, she, She paints stuff that I look at and said, how did you think of that? And there's like, there's, there's like some wheel in her brain that mine doesn't turn. But can I just tell you? God gave her to me. That is, that's one of the richest gifts the Lord could ever imagine. Because she is my best friend. She makes me so much better. Listen, you can't imagine how awful a pastor I would be without her. Y'all would have already run me off. But it's because what happens is we concede the need for others to make us better. The second step, though, is that we, we cultivate those meaningful relationships. We, we purposely go in and work and build value and work at cultivating meaningful, purposeful relationships. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says again. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. I mean, there was this sense that I've conceded, I need you. There was another sense that said, I want to cultivate, I want to work at this friendship because together we will accomplish more than any one of us could ever do alone. That's a line I use in almost every wedding I do, that one of the values that's built into a family is the thought that together we can do more than any one of us could alone. And I think through that and I think, but... We find that when we invest in people and convey value to them. When we find that these folks make us better, they may be weird, they may be different, but they make us better. I pick on Dr. G, but he makes our church better. I pick on Rusty, but he makes our church better. I love to pick on on Randall because he's a tech fan and even he can make the church better. I mean, good grief. I mean, we're reaching now, but we... But God put these folks in our life for a purpose and a rhyme and a reason, and it is that we make one another better. What did Paul say? We loved you so much that we gave of ourselves. This is what we did, founding these verses, the seventh and eighth verse. What we find are three words, and they just happen to all rhyme. And the first one is, if we're going to have great friends, we've got to learn to care. We have to show that we care. What does the text say? As a nursing mother nurtures her own children, we have to care. Could I just stop and say, in our westernized culture, we often think caring is money. Could I stop and say, 
caring is when you're just there. Caring is, is when your heart breaks because their heart breaks. Caring is when your spouse is wounded and hurting and suffering and you get outside of your own desire enough to say, what can I do? How can I serve you? How can I help you? When you've broken someone's heart, it is how I'll do anything and everything to mend this. We show that we care, but showing we care is in all kinds of ways. Most importantly is that we physically do something. Our presence means something. Listen, we have folks in this church, in this room right now, that are fighting for their life with cancer. And we mean well when we say these things, but we're not helping when we say, I'm thinking of you. When someone is fighting for their life with cancer, don't tell them I'm thinking of you. Thinking implies nothing. I think I'm a great preacher. Ha! I think that we can do anything. Ha! But to do anything, you gotta try something. And what I would urge you to say is, you know that person, if you're gonna pray for them, don't say I'm gonna pray for you, stop with them and pray with them. That person needs help. What did Jesus say? They need your shirt, give them your jacket too. I wonder if we would stop and we had so much care in our heart that if we really cared about it, we might care about why those seats are empty. Why our child is brokenhearted. Why my spouse is so quiet. Why my friend is brokenhearted and in need. Could I just stop and say, if, if Sugar Hill Church decided collectively, not me, not the staff, you, if we decided to walk out of this building and say to this community, we care for you, and we follow that up with action, you'd have to have 20 services every weekend. Because see, the, the church is dying to have part of the church care. But Chuck, we don't want that type. Yes, we do. This church was designed for whatever that type is. That they might come in and know that you care. But that second word is if we're gonna care, we gotta share. What did the text say? We were pleased to share with you our own lives. The word picture of sharing our own life is this action and attitude that says, when you're in need, I am here for you. When you need help, I am here for you. I am so grateful for folks who would step up and care that we are in a weird season right now and step up and help. It's amazing to me that I stop and I think, it is such a powerful thing when a friend shares their own life with you. Paul is saying, this is what it's supposed to be like in the fellowship in the body of Christ, that we know that we know that people care for us. But then that last one is where it gets really a little funky. We've got to dare to believe that they're dear to us. We've got to dare to believe that they're dear to us. Listen to this. Because you had become dear to us. We don't get to where we're dear with one another. We don't get to where we're, we're honestly living with one another until such time as we drop all the masks and get to the point of authenticity and we stop trying to impress somebody and they let us see inside the windows and the doors of our heart and know we are radically imperfect people. The only way that we truly dare to have a great marriage is that we would actually drop all pretense and the person that we really are is the person that your spouse knows that. That trust is built into it. That hope is built into it. That caring and sharing is built into it. 
I'm blessed beyond measure that I have a wife that is encouraging and loving and caring and sharing and some of you do too but listen if we're going to be a better y'all we got to dare to be dear with one another which means authenticity has got to soak us to the bone authenticity is it's really this simple are you ready to be an authentic person an authentic y'all here's what you do you strip away all the pretense of where you're trying to impress somebody else and the real you comes to that person and says i care for you I want to share my life with you. I want to dare to be totally open and honest with you. And could I stop and say some of you have had that experience and you got burnt. Your spouse cheated on you. Your best friend went behind your back. Your boss took a knife in your back. You feel betrayed because you know what will happen if we're really going to be a friend? We're going to offer forgiveness. But you know what I found? That forgiveness is a season, not a statement. Forgiveness happens over the consistency of time when we get to where our caring, our sharing, our daring becomes the literal us, the real us. When we concede that we need others, when we, when we cultivate meaningful, purposeful relationships, then we're going to commit to this authenticity. We're going to commit that that authenticity is truly there, that we're going to enter into this mutually accountable relationship where you're willing to say yes or no, or that's a good idea, but what they say you know is true and honest and open, and they love it. Those five words in text, listen, listen to the five words in that text that makes all the difference in the world. We imparted our own lives. Paul wasn't building walls. He was opening his life to others. Paul wasn't saying, I'm going to put a fence around me. Paul was saying, I want to share my life with you. When Gene Stallings was on Bear Bryant's staff at the University of Alabama, they started their first fellowship of Christian athletes, uh, Huddle. And Gene Stallings was the only staff member that showed up to support it. A couple of years later, Gene Stallings left to become the head football coach at Texas A&M in College Station. And that next season, when it came around for the season to go on, the preseason workouts were happening, Bear Bryant picked up the phone and called Gene Stallings and said, the worst thing you did for me is start that stupid FCA thing. All these boys want to do is hug each other. Now they don't want to hit each other anymore. And Gene Stallings says, give it time, coach. Give it time. At the end of that season, Barrett had one of his better seasons of the many he had at Alabama. Pick up the phone and called Gene Stallings and say, you know what the best thing that happened to this team is that fellowship of Christian athletes because our team's never been bound to something greater than that. Listen, I hate Alabama. And that's a good story. You know how bad I wanted to tell that story about the University of Georgia? I did more research trying to find that story to come from Vince Dooley or somebody. Folks, like it or not, we need each other. Like it or not, God's creation said you need each other. That's why being a part of a group is such a big deal. That's why worshiping together is such a big deal. That's why being faithful to your family is such a big deal. You want your kids to care for you when you're 90? You better care for your kids when they're 19. When we live life together, we're going to care for others, we're going to share with others, and we're going to dare to be authentic with one another. And I believe the Lord will bless that in such a way because it doesn't require much. It just requires all of you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've called us to be in a caring and a sharing and a daring role. 
that we'd open up our hearts and the windows of our life and pour it out. So, Lord, would you, would you do what only you can do? Speak into our life so that we might be people that speak in truth and in love, that we might be filled with your spirit, that we might be moved by your mercy. Create grace to saturate us to the bone, that we might extend it easily, that we might forgive as we've been forgiven, and we might live as you lived for us. Lord Jesus, you and you alone make us a better you and most certainly make us a better y'all. May you speak that truth into our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.